Let me invite you to take your copy of God's Word and go to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 13. If you're using one of the Bibles provided for you in the seats there, it's page 921. Acts 13, verses 1 through 5, will serve as our text this morning. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manon, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salmaeus, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues and of the Jews. And, of the Jews. and they had John to assist them. I'm going through the book of Acts. We just started this series with the teens on Wednesday nights, and we're going to do an overview of the book of Acts. And um, I, I, I think some of you know Acts is... My all-time favorite book of the Bible. I enjoy studying. I enjoy uh, reading through it. I enjoy teaching it. There's so many aspects of the book of Acts that, that are helpful to us today. This is part two of Luke's two-volume set. The Gospel of Luke is part one. And then he picks up right where he left off. In Acts chapter 1, verse 1, he picks up where he left off at the end of Luke and his gospel there. And it begins this, 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 this uh, historical account that he's writing to a, a probably a person of uh, political importance named Theophilus. He was a convert to Christ, most likely, who then Luke wanted to give him an orderly account of all that Jesus did on his earth, his earthly ministry. And then he wanted to give Theophilus an account of how the church started and what the role of the church was. And so in the beginning, in the first half of the first portion of the book of Acts, we see Luke uh, focusing on Peter and on the rest of the, the, the apostles. And, and we see the ascension of Jesus Christ in chapter 1. We see how there is the choosing of Matthias in chapter 1 to replace Judas Iscariot, who had killed himself after he had uh, betrayed Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 2, we find Pentecost, and we see this is when the Holy Spirit was coming uh, in a dwelling sense, in the beginning of what we know as the church. And, and here we see that, that this was fulfillment of the promises that Luke had ended his gospel with, and that, that Jesus ended his earthly ministry with. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and in Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. This is Acts chapter 1 or verse 8, which then provides a loose framework for the entire book of Acts. We come to chapter 13, and this is really when Luke begins to change his focus from Peter and the apostles into a person by the name of Saul or Paul. This is the very beginning of the missionary journeys of Paul. Paul had already done a short-term trip uh, to give aid to Jerusalem. But now this is here, when we come to Acts 13, here we have the, the missionary endeavors of the Apostle Paul. 
And no doubt, the world has been shaped and changed by the missionary endeavors of Paul. Jesus saw fit to redeem this unlikely convert and then to make him into one of the greatest missionaries the world has ever seen. But God didn't use in just individuals. He uses churches as well. And the church in Antioch, and let, 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 me, let, me, let me modify my last statement there. Let, let, me, let me go back to that. Instead of saying he uses churches as well, let me say this. God's primary means of ministry is through churches. And the church at Antioch serves as a model. It serves as a model of what I would love for us to be. The Antioch model of sending people out. There's, you will look at the people who made up this church, who were involved in this church. We had Barnabas, we had Simeon, it was Niger, Lucius, and Mary. I mean, we have all these people. Then we have Saul, or Paul, the Apostle Paul. We have these people in the church. There were leaders and teachers in this church. This church was filled with leaders. They had trained, they had been encouraged, they had fellowship there. And then God saw fit to send them out. God's work was being done through the church at Antioch. And I believe that we should take just a few minutes this morning and look at this church and see it how it serves as a model and how we can be that church like Antioch as well. Number one, if you're taking notes, God's work requires mobility. God's work requires mobility. We see in the text here that all of a sudden the Holy Spirit ministers to the leaders of the church. And he says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I have called for them. He says, we are, you need to set them apart. And so they need to be outside of here. They need to leave the church here and they need to go someplace else. And so if we're going to be a church like Antioch, we need to be mobile. We need to, to be a church that is, is nimble, if, we would, if you will, so that we can adjust to God's plans for us. Now, I believe this happens in two, really two ways. First of all, we need to abhor earthboundness. We need to abhor earthboundness. Now, what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is that we, as, 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 uh, as Christians, often put our roots way too deep on this earth. And, and, and we get too comfortable with where we're at. And, and it would have been very easy for Saul or Barnabas to say, you know what, I'm, I'm content here. I'm with a whole bunch of other leaders here. And know that they were influencing each other. And Saul was, was encouraging them. And, and Saul was being encouraged by them. And it was probably a very comfortable situation. The church was growing, I'm sure. And I'm sure that there was good fellowship there. And there's mature believers there. And it was something that they were enjoying. But then in a moment, the Spirit Spirit of God says, you need to leave and you need to go someplace else. My mind also goes to another portion of the book of Acts. And I think of chapter 8 when Philip, he was ministering there to the Samaritan, the Samaritans. And then this there was revival happening there. And Philip is, is ministering there and things were going well and everything was going great. And all of a sudden he gets word, you need to go to the desert. And so he has to leave the revival that's happening in Samaria. The, the, the great things that are going on there. People are praising God and people are being converted. And the Spirit of God says you need to leave where it's comfortable. You need to leave where it's good and where things are happening. And you need to go to a desert because there's one person I want you to talk to. And this was the man from Ethiopia who was traveling with his his entourage, if you will, who was reading the book of Isaiah, was not understanding what was happening. And then so 
I love how Luke records this in chapter 8. He runs up to them. He joins himself to the chariot, it says. Literally, it means he glued himself to the chariot, okay? And so you get this picture of Philip running up to this chariot where this, 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 this uh, official from Ethiopia is sitting there reading the scroll of Isaiah. And, it's, and he's like, is he talking about him? Is he talking about someone else to come? Who is Isaiah talking about? So if you ever are reading your Bible and you don't know what's going on, you're in good company, okay? And so here he is, and all of a sudden, this guy comes running alongside of him, and he's basically saying, do you understand what you're reading in there? I mean, the scene is almost comical. And so the chariot stops, Philip comes in, and then he explains Jesus Christ to this, this Ethiopian who is saved and then baptized there. But Philip had to leave where it was comfortable. Philip had to leave where things were happening to go to a desert. In our text, Barnabas and Saul had to leave. They had to be mobile. I fear that, like I said, we are so bound to this earth and to our locations, to our homes, to where things are comfortable. You know, I, I am, I'm really thankful for my parents in a lot of ways. They've, uh, they, they really have shown me over and over again, Jeremy, you go wherever God wants you to be and serve. There was a brief time not too long ago I was considering uh, uh, going out to uh, the West Coast for a ministry there. And, um, you know, me was, was very, just a baby, just, just born. And, you know, one thing, I don't know if you noticed this or not, but grandmothers typically like their grandchildren around them, okay? <laughs> they like them. And uh, my parents live in Michigan, and, and so it's close enough where we can get together. I just saw my mom this weekend, actually. She was at the ladies' conference, and she got to see all of her grandchildren. One thing that my, and I don't know if my mom and my dad, I don't know if they were doing this intentionally or not, but what they taught me growing up was, don't be earthbound. Don't, don't be, don't have your roots too deep. You go where God wants you to minister. If that's in another country, go. You know, I've worked with, with teens for 15 years now, and I can't tell you the amount of times I've had conversations with teens that say, I want to go to so-and-so and serve but I don't think my mom would let me. Because it's in a hostile environment, or it's in a different field, or it's it's too far away. And and, and, and it breaks my heart. Because, and then I wonder how many of us, how many of us are not willing to be mobile because we're too afraid of losing our, or getting a different job, or or getting a different home, and we'd have to downsize, or or whatever the case may be. My my plea is that if we're going to be like the Antioch Church, we must abhor earthboundness. We must abhor this this idea that we're comfortable where we're at, and and that God he 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 cannot ask us to do something. We we we're always looking for comfort. Have you noticed that? 
I, I do the same thing. We're, we're always looking for what is the, the easiest route to take. It's like, it's like water. It always looks for the, the path of least resistance. And I believe that that's how we kind of live our lives. And we, we look for the areas that, that will, will be the most, most uh, 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 comforting to us. And, and, and that is not what we're called to. In fact, we are called to be strangers and pilgrims on this earth. We are called to be traveling through this earth as we're going to our final destination, our homeland. It's like whenever we go through the state of Ohio, no one wants to live in Ohio, okay? And so you go through there only because you have to go through there, right? Okay? And so you get through there and you don't stop, you know... Some of you know, a couple of you may know that I'm a Michigan fan. And so, um, so you have Michigan and then Ohio State. They're like bitter rivals. Do you know that like, like Woody Hayes, the, the, the old coach for, for the, uh, the Ohio State Buckeyes, he would, he would not let his team managers get gas for the team buses in Michigan. I mean, he would, they would take get cartons of gas with them. He said, we're not giving them a dime of our money. You know, Michigan, they would do the same thing, uh, same type of ideas. There's this, this bitter hatred, you know. You know, we, there's, you know how you can use your, your, your hand to, to show Michigan and everything like that? I always said that, that God gave us the same thing for Ohio. It's like the armpit, though, okay? <laughs> you, know, you, you just don't stop there, okay? You get through. This is how we view our life, though. We view our life that we are getting through here because we have an eternal kingdom. And while we are here, we are pointing people to Jesus. And we're saying, don't get so caught up in this life now. Don't get so caught up with here and now and all the things that, that this world affords you. This is just a shadow of things to come. And so we move through this life and we, do, we, we need to abhor this idea of putting roots down so deep and say, I can never move this far or that far. I read in a book just last week, someone who he chuckled because his grandfather was uh, somebody who, said, who told him, he said, you know, now you're going off to college now and I really hope I can see you again one day. A long way away, and, and, and I hope that we can meet together again. But you know, you take care of yourself. We're at college. The guy's college was 40 miles away, okay? But grandpa had never been more than 40 miles away from the home, right? Now we're in a more of a world where it's, it's a much easier, able, we're able to get into the world so much easier. Just a few minutes ago, we were talking to somebody who's in Thailand. You know, we're here, he's over there, we're talking, we're communicating. Let's abhor earth boundless. But on the flip side, let's adore the church, okay? Let's adore the church. Now, here's in submission to the church. This is what I love about this. We have these great leaders here, right, in this text. We have, we have uh, Barnabas, and, and who was instrumental in even bringing the Apostle Paul. Do you remember when, when Paul was converted in Acts chapter 9? We understand that, that he goes through this conversion experience and everything, because at the end of 8, you know, we see him uh, 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 in 7, uh, no, in 8, consenting to the death of, of Stephen. And, and we see that he was, he was going in chapter 9, verse 1. He's on his way to, to drag people into prison. And, he, and he's, and he's, and he's just, just trying to squash the name of Jesus Christ. And God radically saves him, just radically saves him uh, from, from his error and from his ignorance. 
And so what I love about it is that in the process, he loses his sight, okay, for a short amount of time. And so Saul, he can't see anything, so he's blind. And so, and so God says to Ananias, he says, Ananias, okay, I want you to go out. I want you to give sight back to, to Saul. And I love Ananias' response in chapter 9. He says, I, I've heard so many things about this man, God. <laughs> I can understand what you know, going through his mind. Maybe it's better that he is blind. You know, I mean, you know, then he can't see everyone to grab him and throw him into prison. Maybe this is better that he doesn't have sight. But then God says, he says, go, he's a chosen vessel for me. For he will bear my name before many. And he talks about bearing it before kings and princes and things. And so Ananias goes and restores the sight. God uses him to restore the sight. But you know, the church wasn't ready to accept Saul at this moment. People were nervous about that. And I don't blame them. I really don't blame them at all. But there was one man who advocated for Saul. There was one man who went and joined himself with him and said, I will be a friend and I will bring him in. And he, and the Bible says, he gave testimony to Saul's validity. And that was the man Barnabas. So this man's in this church. And Barnabas is there. Paul is there. Great leaders. But what happens? Every one of them submitted themselves to the church. When, when, when God spoke to the church, when I say church, think, think big C, not, not necessarily just little C, big C, the universal church. When God said, this is my plan, Barnabas and Saul didn't bat an eye. They said, we will do this. Why? Because they weren't so bound to the earth. They weren't so bound to their circumstances, but they were submitted to what the church was going to say, what God was working through the church. And he says, you need to go to separate unto me, Saul and Barnabas. The rest of the church could have said, well, wait a minute here. You know, these guys are important to us. These, these guys, I mean, you know what this is going to do to our ministry if these people leave? But there's the error in that statement. I don't know if you picked up on it or not. Do you know what this is going to do to our ministry if they leave? My friends, this church, Memorial Baptist Church, is never going to be Jeremy's church. It never wants to be Jeremy's church. It's not going to be Wayne's church. It's not going to be the elders' church. This church is Jesus Christ's church. And whatever he does here, whoever he moves, whoever he brings here, that's up to him. And we submit to that. Jesus is the head of this church. Now, I'm happy to be here as long as God has me here. I have no plans. I would love to die here. Not my church. It's Jesus' church. So uh, you're stuck with me until Jesus says, I got to leave. Okay? And Jesus hasn't spoken yet. Okay? All right? So deal with it. <laughs> but, but we're enjoying our ministry together with you. This is what Jesus is doing. They said yes. They're mobile. God's work requires mobility. God's work requires people to move. God's work requires some fluidity. God's work demands that we abhor earthboundness and that we adore submission to the church. Number two, God's work requires sacrifice. God's work requires sacrifice. Now, there's a couple sacrifices we see on display here. First of all, individual sacrifice. 
Saul and Barnabas, they had to, they had to do what? They had to, uh, to leave what was comfortable to them. And some of you may be asked by King Jesus to move and go someplace else. Are you going to, build, are you going to bear that sacrifice for the sake of the church? I'm not necessarily talking about job change. I'm, not talking, I'm talking about some of you may relocate or be forced to relocate because God moves in your heart to minister in other places. I hope that happens. Not because I don't have a list of people that I hope God calls away. Okay. All right. It's like, you know, Chad Wilkie. That'd be a good one to send. <laughs> right? Yeah, you know? No, I, I, don't, I don't have that. But what I do have is I have a desire for us to be an Antioch church where people are trained and people are fed and people are nourished here and built up. And then God says, I, separate unto me, Chad. Separate unto me, Wayne. Separate unto me, Dan. Separate unto me, Mike. Whoever it is, separate me unto and so we can do this ministry in a global sense. But that takes sacrifice on the individual part. That takes you and me willing to say, at a moment's call, I'll move. I'll go someplace else. All of a sudden, some of us type A persons, you start thinking, oh, but I got a house to sell. And oh, 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 oh. You know, I still own a house in Rockford, so if you ever want to buy a house in Rockford, <laughs> um, God takes care of those things. He does. But it takes sacrifice. But there's also corporate sacrifice, secondly. There's a corporate sacrifice. The church had to sacrifice two key people. Do you think Paul and Barnabas were important to the church? Can you imagine Paul and Barnabas being in our church? You know, they're here in our church, and then it's like, okay, they got to leave. It's like, wow. You know, couldn't you take the C team? <laughs> you know, why do you got to take the A team? Here's a principle that we, that we need to follow. If we're going to be an Antioch church, we need to be willing to give up our best. We need to be willing to send out our best. You know, uh, I've, I've had several friends that are missionaries. My wife was a missionary for uh, a little while in Belgium, France. And uh, one of my best friends was a missionary in uh, Africa, Belgium, France. And, and other friends that are on the field right now. And, and you know, we kind of joke that, that, that we say that uh, in, in fundamental circles, there used to be this unwritten policy of this. If a guy was a super good preacher, like, I mean, he had giftedness to preach. I mean, as they would say back in the day, he could shuck the core, you know? I mean, it was, he, was a, he was a preacher. He was an evangelist. He made him an evangelist so he could get his little RV and he could go all over the place. If he was a, a, a decent preacher... But, um, but had better people skills, um, you made him a pastor. Okay? You know, he could preach well, but, but his people skills were pretty good. You made him a pastor. If there was a guy who had a good heart, wanted to serve God, but couldn't preach his way out of a wet paper bag, you made him a missionary. Okay? That was kind of the, the, the thought. You, you know, no one would say that explicitly, but the attitude almost was like, well, where can you serve God? I think Japan could use a servant and, you know, kind of send them off. I don't see that in Acts. I see a church saying, Here, here's our best. Go. Here's our best. And God's working in the heart there, and, and, and they recognize that. 
And so there's sacrifice for the church. It may come a time where we see people developed in our church and, and they're, they're going to continue to shine. And there's already some people that uh, you have told me, man, they're deserving. Man, they were really standing up. And it may be, and I have no data. There's, there's, I'm not, there's no agenda here. I'm not preparing us for anything. I'm just saying here's our philosophy is that some of these people that we build up here, we invest in and we pour our lives into for several years, God may say, separate unto me, so-and-so. And you know what our response is? Praise God. That's our response. Because we're the Antioch Church. We want to be like the Antioch Church. And so it requires sacrifice on the individual level and on a, a corporate level. And one of the things I wanted you to note about this whole text is the corporateness of it and how that there's a submission to the body. These people, you know, it wasn't Paul and Barnabas that were saying, oh, pick me, I need to go someplace. And, and always maneuvering, it was... It was God-driven, and it was a submission to the church. And he said to the leaders, these are the people we need to come. The Holy Spirit said, I want these people serving me over here. And they just submitted to that. So there was a sacrifice there. Finally, this morning, God's work requires proclamation, though. Okay, proclamation. We see, we see mobility in the text. We see sacrifice in the text. But then we see this idea of proclaiming here. We see this in verse 5. He says, when they arrived at Salmaeus, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews. Now, the reason why I included that in this text is because I believe that that's the purpose statement. You know, we didn't know what the purpose was in chapter um, uh, in, in 13, verse uh, 2. It says, Separate apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I have called them. Well, we don't know what that is. We didn't know what that work was. But verse 5 tells us what that work is. It was so they could proclaim the word of God in the synagogues and then in other places we'll find out later on in the text. So our proclamation must be spirit-powered. And so if we're going to proclaim the word of God, what we must do is we must come to and say, God, this is your message. This is your spirit. This is, this is your word that we're talking about. And so by your spirit's power, help us to proclaim it. And this is what we must be doing every day. This is what our church should be actively doing, is proclaiming the word of God in a spirit-powered way. How can we do that? Well, I don't know if you've ever had this happen to you, but I'm assuming you, you have, if you're a believer in Christ. You have someone that, that crosses your life's path, and then all of a sudden you have this thought of, I wonder if they know Jesus Christ. I wonder if they're a Christian. Well, at that moment, I believe that that's God saying, talk to that person. Tell them about it. It doesn't have to be right at that second, although that may not be a bad thing. But, but that should be someone you're talking to, and that should be someone that you're sharing Christ with and, and, and telling them about Jesus Christ. Is that not why we're here? A lot of times what happens, though, is that thought comes in our mind, oh, I wonder if so-and-so knows about Jesus. And, well, I'm sure they do because, you know, I know their mom. And, and, or I'm sure they have because I think they visited, you know, 10 years ago, whatever the case may be. If God's moving in your heart to talk to people or he brings that, obey, submit to the Spirit. It's not your job to, to save them. It's just your job to tell them. So if they reject you, Okay, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting Jesus. But we get too bound to where we're at in our life and our earth and in our comfort and our reputations and whether or not people accept us and affirm us, and it robs us of this. Let us proclaim the gospel in the spirit power way. You say, I don't know how to have these conversations. This is where Jesus said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I am not being melodramatic when I say this. 
But every Sunday I feel this. I feel, I don't, I don't, I don't know how to communicate the vastness of the scriptures. And I pray, I pray often on my way up here, you know, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Just, just please use your words. And, and, and you know, there, there are times where <laughs> a lot of times I sit down in a nook and say, well, how do you think that went or something? I'm just like, oh, <laughs> you know. And, and she's like, well, I didn't think it was that bad. Like, well, what do you mean that bad? <laughs> you know, um, you know, um, and, and she, she's very affirming, and then I take her compliments, and I say, but you're my wife, you have to tell me that, so, but I don't know if it's very, that helpful. But I feel overwhelmed by the message. Maybe sometimes you feel overwhelmed by the message. You're going to make mistakes. I make mistakes. I... I get up here and I can't think of, you know, words to say. I'm trying to be all pastoral and help pray for our copers, the copers. And I'm just like, I'm basically saying, they got issues. No, no, that's not what I meant to say. No, no. <laughs> it's going to, we're going to make mistakes. Don't let the fear of failure rob you from obedience. Don't let your high view of your reputation and yourself rob you from sharing Christ with others. Our proclamation must be spirit power, but it must be, secondly, word-saturated. It's got to be word-saturated. What did he give them? They gave him the word. He didn't give them stories. He didn't give them uh, 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 little tidbits. But, but secondly, he, it, it was, it, it was word-saturated. He gave them the word. Know your Bibles. Give people the scriptures and say, well, here it is. You, you do what you want with this, but I'm just going to sh- tell you what God says. You debate it with God. If, if, you know, if put, put, put the onus on them and say, you study this out, and, 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 and here it is. But all I know is that this is what I believe. That's all we got to do. Is we just got to tell people. The Antioch model is something we should follow. Because it was a church that modeled mobility. It modeled sacrifice. It modeled proclamation. I am passionate that this is what our church becomes and continues to develop. So that may mean some of you are going to have to relocate. Now, I, I, don't, I don't have a say in that, okay? You know, this isn't an organization where I, I, I tell people where to go. You know, that is called a cult, <laughs> and that is not us, okay? But I'm praying for God to relocate people with no names, but I want people to go out from here. I want them to be trained and sent out. I'm praying that we understand what it means to be a sacrificial church, that we're not selfish with what God has given to us. God has given us a lot here. We are incredibly blessed in our church in so many ways, so many ways. I hope you understand that. I hope you realize that. I hope you look around and I hope you see God's blessings rather than what you think is lacking. I, I, and this, that ties in with the series that we're going to jump back into next week of being easily edified. And then uh, this church needs to be a proclaiming church. We have VBS. We have the Vermont Summer Fun Nights. We have other uh, opportunities to tell people about Christ. See, the job of the church is not necessarily to make a bunch of programs to get the gospel out. The job of the church is to build you up equip you 
And then God has already given you people in your lives that don't know Christ. He's given you tons of people that don't know Christ. So tell them. I'll tell the people in my circle, you tell the people in your circles, and we're going to see God do some great things here. The Antioch model. Let's follow it. Father, thank you for the opportunity to look at Antioch Church in Acts 13. I pray that we'd be willing to follow the Antioch model. I pray that we'd be willing to put our best out there and send them away for the sake of the universal church. I pray that we'd have a passion to tell others of you. And I pray, Father, that you would develop in us a sense of, of us being strangers and pilgrims on this earth and not so earthbound. These are the things that we pray, and we're thankful that you gave the church of Antioch these things to serve as our model. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen.